0: Bet you would never expect a movie to be simultaneously racist, sexist, and extremely Canadian. What could possibly be bad about a low budget action movie starring former WWF women's champion Trish Stratus? This week on the Netflix Martyrs, it's Death by Bounty Hunters. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Netflix Martyrs. This week, it's the WrestleMania special. With us today, Sexual Chocolate, D. Meta. Howdy. We have Diamond Dallas, Pam Roby. Hey. We have that young knockout kid, Rob Arecci. Glad to be here. And I am the Heartbreak Kid, Chris Mattiello. This week, we watched The Bounty Hunters, starring Trish Stratus and a bunch of canadians as we do every week we start off with five across the eyes we try in five words or less to explain recommend condemn or question the movie we just watched
1: unknown still better than elizabeth town
0: canada presents upskirt the movie (laughs) (laughs) trish stratus
2: fanservice and canucks
3: and I'm going to share my five across the eyes, the lesson I took away from this movie. Don't mess with Italian Canadians.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we start the movie with our trio of bounty hunters. Uh, how would you describe these folks, other than very Canadian? Inept. They're probably like the least
1: complex characters that you'll ever meet
0: in movies. <clears throat> well, tell us about that. What, what is each character? Are they like an archetype?
1: I guess I would kind of say so. Um, so Trish is character especially because she's this tough-working mom. Like, she's a badass, but she's also a mom, and she's doing this all for her kid, which, like, that's the oldest play in the book. So not only is she... She's also... She's a bounty hunter, but she's also a stripper, which, you know, she's also doing for her kid. Oh, wait, she's not a stripper. I'm sorry. She's a bartender at a strip club. But, yeah, just the the oldest, like i'm a badass but i'm also really sexy and i have a child that's why i'm putting myself through all this i'm just trying to make ends meet and then she has her big muscly but kind of dumb sidekick guy who's her partner but he's also the comic relief of the movie and then you have the leader of their little team who's like the older more relaxed gentleman who's Having a thing with Trish, you could kind of see that happening. I don't know. It's it's pretty much like the most basic characters that they could have
0: written. Yeah, it's... A- yeah. We've got the muscle, we've got the brains, we've got the looks. Except the muscle is actually pretty shitty at being the muscle. And yeah. the I brains... In this
3: entire movie. No I one is the brains of this operation. imagine why they had him along for the ride.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's awful. No one's the brains of this operation. We've got the looks, and we've got two mooks with guns.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: They're all that? wild cards. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the other people in this movie are more wild cards than they are, necessarily.
2: I actually enjoyed pretty much the entire antagonist cast of this movie way more than our protagonists. I, I want to see a movie now called, like, Italian-Canadian Mobster. Yeah. Um, or, or Francis the
3: Movie. Oh, yeah, Francis was cool. We'll get, it. We'll, I mean, we'll, get it. we'll get it. Francis was cool. And, I mean, they introduced us to him quick, which I think actually works because... You know this movie, it has a very short running time. They have to give you a lot quick. And they want to fill you with a sense of, I guess, excitement as best they can and action. So, I mean, we, we start with a, a dreary uh, inner dialogue of Trish Stratus wondering how she got herself into the predicament that she's in. Well, isn't this just PG?
1: Another fine day in the life of being a bounty hunter, I guess. Let's see, what do we got here? A mob bus? Check. Gun pointed at my head. Check. I can see
3: them.
1: We're in an abandoned warehouse.
3: Perfect. And oh yeah, I'm
1: wearing a schoolgirl uniform. So it must be Friday.
3: Which is having uh, Francis the mobster uh, pointing a gun to her head and They're in a warehouse, and things are going down. And it's almost very, like, Quentin Tarantino-y. Like, they almost, like, saw Pulp Fiction, and they were like, we could do this. Let's just take the end of the script, put these couple pages in the very beginning, and then we'll say ten hours earlier, and we'll start, like, a very linear, basic plot from there.
0: Yeah, and Trish Stratus is in a schoolgirl costume the first time we see her, because, of course, she is. Why not?
2: (laughs) I I knew pretty much exactly what this movie was going to be from that first, like, 30 seconds. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a pointless inner monologue describing each of the main characters. There's Trish Stratus in a schoolgirl outfit, and there's a guy holding a gun to her head who clearly does not know how to use that gun. Very
1: <laughs> true, true. It's, uh... Yeah, it's... That is. It's is just setting the tone for the rest of the movie. And, um... You know, even her trying to be quippy in her inner monologue, inner monologue and you're like, it's not quite working. I feel like that's gonna be... Something that we're gonna see a lot of, and
0: it is. Yeah, I've it never is. seen a less convict convincing like badass chick before. Yeah, <laughs> I
1: yeah. Think for being the badass chick of the movie, she is usually like the weakest point of their whole team of. Uh...
2: Oh no, no, yeah. not at all. I, I disagree with that. I, yeah. I think the the doofy muscle character is definitely the weakest link. She can actually kind of hold her own in a fight. The, the <laughs> other guy. His, his contribution to pretty much every fight is getting the shit beat out of him.
1: Yeah, but she, I don't know, I guess her her contribution to fights, though, is being the one who either gets nabbed and, like, gets taken away, or, you know, has a pointless fight that she doesn't quite win, but almost has a point. Oh.
3: Trish kicks some ass. I think we can all agree. They really try to highlight the fact that she, you know, Canadian fitness model, turned WWF women's champion. She's like a record-holding title champion, as if that just means that the writers liked her a lot. I mean, it, let's just be honest. Anytime someone is holding a record in, in world wrestling entertainment, it, you have to take that all with a grain of salt. She didn't exactly have to, like, rise up the ranks and, and, and you know, really win the fight. So I hate to spoil that for any... <laughs> uh, wrestling fans out there, uh, but the writers liked her, so therefore she's a six-time WWE Women's Champion. But they want to make sure you remember that, and I think it was very clear in the fact that Trish Stratus fights like she's in the wrestling oh, ring all the time, yeah, all the time, every, I, every I, single you, fight. You know, and that I really actually liked that. I was like, "Oh shit!" Like that's her finishing move. Like, meanwhile, I, you know, Doofy Junior's got a weight dropped on his foot, and he's out for the entire fight. And she's fighting a guy that looks like Leftover from the Running Man. And she is just taking it to him. And I think she does like a backflip off the weight bench. And she's just awesome. I know I'm getting out of order. But there was parts of this movie I really did like. And that was one of them. I loved. It was like, look at me. I can still do wrestling moves. Putting people in arm bars. And like rear naked chokes left and right. It was
0: glorious. Well, that is the first scene of the movie. The first time we see our... Our three musketeers in action they're at a gym and they're bringing in a bounty who is uh, he looks like a a failed pro wrestler he's got terrible yep. tattoos a mohawk he's 900 pounds he looks like a bobo in real life actually <laughs> and, not, not and the it, good takes, of it takes two people to bring him down and by two i mean does anyone know what the dumbass's character's name actually Chase. is Chase. Chase is basically he. He's like he's like Homer Simpson in the episode where he becomes a boxer. He <laughs> just gets punched in the face until the other person gets tired, and then Trish Stratus comes in and does a Hurricane Rana, and, <laughs> yes, and
2: exactly.
0: takes him out.
2: And, and throughout this entire scene, the the brains of the operation, Ridley, is just smooth talking this. Uh... This this uh, attendant, like seventeen to year old from, girl, sir. Yeah, to keep yeah. her from going over there to investigate what what clearly sounds like someone getting their shit beat out of them. Yeah, it's like the entire time she's like, I should probably go check on that. It really sounds like something's going on.
0: It probably should have been like a large, muscle guy that he was stopping from going over there because I don't know what that that girl was going to do if yeah. she went over there. But then again, Trish Stratus weighs seventy eight pounds and she was beating people up throughout this movie, so maybe that girl. Was like a, a martial arts master, who knows?
3: I don't know. It was a little more convincing that she would be stuck uh, you know, by his uh, like silver fox charms. It's like she's thinking to herself, there's only three people in this gym and they're making a lot of noise to really see what's going on.
1: She couldn't have been a martial arts master because she wasn't Asian, which something I learned from this movie <laughs> is that clearly every Asian person actually does know some kind of martial
0: art. There is some serious racism and sexism yeah. throughout this movie.
1: Should have been called Canadian Racism the Movie because that's a lot of what this film actually was.
0: I, I'm pretty sure Trish Stratus is called a bitch at least 50 times. But even,
1: like, I mean, we were talking about how she is a badass. But I mean, part of the sexism is that she is still the one in this film who gets kidnapped or taken or she's like the damsel in distress more than once in this film. And I mean, you're going to put a woman in the lead and be like, look at how tough she is. Don't also make her the damsel of distress. Like, come on, you could have used Chase. Clearly, he sucks. Clearly, he would have been easy to like grab up and use as a hostage, but.
0: Well, that's what happens when, in a group of three, the only person that's doing any work is Tristratus, because Chase is faking a hamstring pull every fight, and the other guy's sipping coffee in the car.
3: But I think that she was kind of forced by the scripts to be a lot of roles. And one is the damsel, the badass, you know, the mom. And we see that a lot just in the first bounty. And then when the movie really kicks off and they're kind of called in to to bust one out, you know, to break it in and bring him to justice.
0: Speaking of busting one out, in addition to being a bounty hunter, we find out that Trish Stratus is actually also a stripper. Nope. But she's very clear No, she, she insists she's not a stripper That she's a waitress And then she immediately strips for the camera
2: That's true Well, no, she's not a stripper Because she strips inside their locker area She's just it's, it's just obvious fan service to get her into the school garage and yes. To set up the, the, the progressive fan service for the rest of this movie yeah, But, but, like, but she, you actually do see her like delivering bottles of beer to people yes. And stuff like that
0: But then we have Chekhov's stripper move That occurs yeah. Which we will get to That I think confirms the fact that she totally worked the pole Before she had a kid
2: Oh yeah, but now she is clearly just a bartender
3: And a badass one at that (laughs) That was also Another great scene You cannot be grabbing her butt Just let that be a lesson to you Well, and again, all these
2: Canadians, no kung fu Like, one of them goes to grab her ass And they all end up getting up and trying to fight this Like 75 pound woman For no reason
3: I know. I couldn't believe the whole table full. I'm like, they're all trying to fight her? Really? That doesn't... And there's there's
2: no bartenders, or there's no bouncers in the strip club, apparently. She
3: no. doesn't need one. Clearly. I was actually hoping she would be a bouncer. I think that would have been... Like, this movie could have almost made it more in line of, like, she's an independent, tough, single mom that's doing the right thing. Like, if maybe she was a bouncer, not in a schoolgirl outfit.
0: We'll remake Roadhouse with Trish Stratus as Patrick Swayze's character.
3: <laughs> I would probably watch it. And Don't Hurt. They would probably have to call it Cat House.
2: (laughs) Oh, there were a lot of cat fights in this movie.
0: Yeah. Uh. Well, first, they go to pick up, after they get rid of uh, a Bobo, they go to another bounty, which first they argue about whether or not they actually want to do because she has to go to work for her kid and blah, blah, Tristratus isn't a total piece of shit uh, as the movie tries to set up and fails. So they go for this other bounty.
2: They break down the store, and while they were unarmed during the gym scene, now they all have guns. They, they're first attacked by the girlfriend of the person that they're after, who they very quickly subdue and then start to get shot at. And there's a, a what's supposed to be a fairly tense scene as they try and get um, the guy who's shooting at them to either give up and come out, or they're going to go in there and shoot him. And then it turns out he's been firing at them with a BB gun. Which anyone with a brain would probably have been able to figure out from the lack of it sounding like a gun.
1: Yeah, and and this is the scene where I think she gets called a bitch for. Oh no, maybe this might be the second time in the movie. But so her character gets called uh, a bitch by the guy that they're after, and she, uh, you know, makes this whole point of looking at what is the other guy's name? Not Chase. The other ones. Ridley.
0: Ridley, right? How did you remember that?
2: <laughs> I just saw it last night.
1: Oh, okay, I yeah, watched
0: I it an talking. hour ago and I don't remember these names. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's my mind works in mysterious ways.
2: Yeah,
1: so she looks over Ridley and mouths the word, you know, like bitch. You can call me a bitch, and then you know she unleashes a little bit of her fury onto this guy. So I guess good for her in that respect. This is one of those scenes where she actually doesn't need saving from anyone. So, <laughs> yeah,
0: okay. she beats up a guy who is actually. Her size. He is, yeah. He's about 90 pounds as well. And he's a heroin addict, it implies. So, great mm-hmm. job. And yeah. dealer. Right.
1: Oh, so, but I just want to make a quick little... Before they walk into this house, they're also loading up... Oh, wait. Were they loading up the guns already? And they had the one that had blanks in it? Or is that later? That's later. Oh, damn. Sorry, guys. That's all that's
0: right. Fun. Well, that's okay. Because they, yeah. they, take, they take this guy. And on the way to drop him off, he makes a bargain with them. He says, I know about a bounty that's worth $100,000. If you let me go, I'll tell you where he is. Please, Rob, tell us about the the (laughs) Rub and Tug, as this man so eloquently puts it.
3: Yes, the Rub and Tug, another classic and honored Canadian institution. He starts to explain that he was selling smack to a girl who was uh, in and out of the Rub and Tug, which uh, I later found out was a... uh, A a little uh, massage and happy ending joint. So, they decide to try to check that place out because the mobster is lying low. And no one will tell on him because he's chummy chummy. What does he say? Something ridiculous. Real chummy chummy with the owner. And uh, so that leads us to our first moral dilemma of the film. Moral dilemma number one. And I think there's at least two more after this. The big moral dilemmas of bounty hunters. Number one, do we let small-time heroin dealer go in order to receive the large bounty Uh, it's an obvious choice for a man with brain damage in the moral lobe because he just figures what is the big deal uh let this guy go this is way more money and he kind of wins out he's not very persuasive but they do eventually kind of go for it so we find our heroes at the rub and tug which is of course asian has to be has to be. It's the only one in Canada, I think. And this leads us to like our next big action sequence because once they are able to try to secure a room, uh, which leads us to improv moment number one. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys stuck around after the uh the credits or while the credits were rolling. I don't know if you had
2: Yeah, the Outtakes. No, uh, I mean The missed Outtakes this. made
3: it all worthwhile. And apparently yeah. they think this guy's like the Canadian Will Farrell. They can just let him go without a script. Whatever he says will be hilarious. That is actually how- a lot. And I thought what he said was really weird and not all that great. And then you see the bloopers, and it could have been so much worse. He talks about wanting to do something like jerking off while wearing a werewolf mask while Trish Stratus uh, makes out with some other Asian chick of some variety.
2: All right, here's the deal. This is what I want. I want three to four young, hot, non-English-speaking women, Asian preferably if you got them. Now, my girlfriend here, she gets a little nervous around people, so she's going to sit there and watch while I wear a werewolf mask and masturbate. We cool?
3: And they're like, hell yeah. Let's, Let's do this. We'll pick you a girl. Get you in the room, and uh, before they can uh, get all they need to get, you know, some fighting goes down because they start to snoop around a little too hard.
2: Where we find out that the employees at this Rub and Tug are all ninjas. Well, because yeah.
3: they're
0: because they're Asian, obviously. Because they're Asian.
3: Yeah, yeah. better than working at a Chinese food place, I guess.
0: Where they're also going to be ninjas, ninjas
3: too? Oh yeah, true, true. If they went out for takeout afterwards, it'd be another fight scene.
1: Also, <laughs> going back a little bit when i was watching this movie um we were first introduced to the first bounty the the guy who's and now still in the back of the car while they're inside fighting all the uh the asian rub tuggers i the person i was watching this with said that guy has to sell only soft drugs and then when he says oh yeah no i sell smack uh there was a serious bullshit called because this guy was like the most simpering human being that ever lived or was and i feel like if you sell heroin you should probably be a little tougher than that but
0: yeah, the guy the guy who sold, like, shitty weed in college to me was yeah, way more threatening absolutely. than this guy. Exactly. Than that.
3: Our mobster friend has been living like a homeless person. He's got a shitty little mattress and a shitty little blanket, and um, he's out of money, and he's a desperate man. So they decide to just linger in his room till he gets back. And the worst hiding ever, did anyone else think that? It's like, okay, they're going to hide. He won't know they're there, and they'll ambush him. Instead... They do that, like, weird Looney Tunes cartoony, like, oh, I'm going to, like, flatten myself up against the wall real quick. And then as soon as they hear a noise, they both <laughs> peek around the doorway. And he's like, hey, what are you doing here? <laughs> and it goes from there. And I just, that was another, like, call bullshit moment. These, these like, experts, so to speak, bounty hunters are, like, playing a hide-and-seek game with who they I have every right to assume is is a murdering mob gangster kind of Canadian Italian member.
0: This fight scene showed me that I think they wanted, they were interested in having some like mixed martial arts choreography for about twenty seconds. Mm-hmm. Like they wanted to go the haywire route and have Trish Stratus do legitimate fighting stuff because she locks on like a guillotine choke here. Mm-hmm. She goes for a triangle. Uh, and then then they just throw it all away, and she does more wrestling moves. Look they realize that she
2: can't really do any of that convincingly.
0: Yeah. That's, that's really, really
2: the problem. It's like, oh, hey, the, the Haywire knockoff actress we got for this can't actually pull off Haywire knockoff.
3: But Haywire was, I mean, vastly superior yeah. you know, version of the, of the movie. In fact, if I was to make a recommendation, if you're thinking about watching this, just go watch Haywire. You'll enjoy it a lot more, and you'll get the general idea of, yeah. like... A realistic fight movie where the female is the main ass kicker.
1: Like you're saying her, her MMA fighting wasn't all that great. But even her wrestling was I mean, and at least in the very first fight scene, it was very, very clear that the entire thing was choreographed. Like she was just dancing around those maps. Like towards the end of the movie it gets a little a little bit more convincing, like you're actually like, Oh, okay, it looks like they could actually be fighting now and not jumping like Two feet away from each other but making moves like the same head I don't know I just I didn't find her very convincing and
2: I, I can't remember if it was this scene or the one of the later scenes there's an, there, one of the characters actually gets clotheslined and I was like in a real fight would that ever actually happen
3: Did you see in in the very beginning in the gym I mean the big man goes for the choke slam Yeah he 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 attempts the choke slam and uh, I was actually disappointed that they didn't go through with it cuz that would have really just brought the movie to a new level. <laughs> well,
0: that's that's what happens when you try to bring in the Undertaker for Bounty.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the Asians in the Revenant tug tips off Hal, who is our like our greasy Canadian Italian mob boss character.
0: And in the tradition of the Netflix Martyrs, he is a poor man's James Gandolfini.
2: Oh yeah, and yeah. the, yeah. the funny thing is he's he's the poor man's James Gandolfini, who who is the only character who honestly seems to think he's in a Tarantino movie. Yeah, because
1: yeah.
2: he does that. He does that like that 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 big words like explaining high concepts line delivery, where he he tries to explain like what was the what was the distributed
0: um,
3: yeah, distributed it, responsibility.
0: Yes, responsibility, right. Yeah. It, it's. He's, he he's high, long... lofty
3: concepts. The Canadian yeah. Godfather. You know, he's getting into these. He's getting philosophical with his lackeys before he hurts them or kills them or beats them up. Like he's trying to that that whole stereotype of this like mob boss who has. Fought to gain some level of intelligence over his mob ears, which is partially how he was able to rise to the top and tries to impart some of this wisdom that he's gleaned in his life to his, you know, lackeys, even as he's about to bash their heads in. It wasn't as ridiculous as it sounds. I feel like as I'm saying this, it sounds absolutely absurd. But that scene where he uh, actually meets up with. The initial bounty, because as as we do find out, they they let him go. Um, they do catch the uh, the guy at the Rub and Tug, the the higher up bounty, the hundred thousand dollar bounty. They catch him somehow. Uh, you know, the knockoff Gandolfini picks him up, and I'm not exactly sure where that comes through. He has connections, as all Italians do, and I'll, I'll let you know that that's a fact. It's true. Uh, he, yeah, it's yeah. You know, I mean, connections are just part of the thing. You just have them. So he uses his to get this dude in a very compromising position in, in where he's kind of like tied up to a chair and kind of forced to listen to this guy um, talk about lofty concepts. I don't know D, if you want to elaborate on that.
2: Well, he, he basically talks about the a, a stripped down version of like the Kitty Genovese case where um, you had somebody getting the getting like, uh, I think in her case stabbed to death while there were like 50 eyewitnesses. And none of them call the cops, and the entire the entire description of this this situation, where like nobody bothers to report it, it, it sounds like it's being set up for something, and it's really just there so that the guy has like a one liner right before he he takes a, go- uh, a golf club to the guy's head. Um, it it's, it really comes off as like someone trying to recreate a Tarantino scene in a shitty Canadian movie.
0: Yeah, he might as well have danced to Stuck in the Middle with you before he did it.
3: Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The but, you know, for this movie, it was a high point.
1: Yeah, but the most distracting thing about him, like this mob boss, to me at least, was that he was, like, very clearly trying to do a New York mobster accent, but then his Canadian-isms would come through. Like, his vowels were just completely just all over the place, and, you know, he had a lot of the... I, it was, for me, that was really ridiculous to listen to, like a Canadian trying to be the Sopranos, New York, New Jersey mobster. I don't know. I don't know if that was as
0: attractive for you guys. Yeah, you can't follow up your forget about it with it.
1: Eh? Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty much every time. Also, he's not that awesome of a mob boss because he only seems to have, like, four people working for him at yep. most, Which is
3: really not that powerful or influential but and I, I really wish he didn't have to be Italian like if I could just mention that like he they didn't have to go that route like I would have much rather seen him I, I had just so many other like thoughts about who a great villain in this film could be like just some dude that maybe like is more Van Damme-ish in nature, just like we're like a French Canadian, like a real fuck face. Like, like he loves whores and cigarettes and just get a real prick of a French Canadian dude to like put cigarettes out in your eyeball.
0: You just described like a Toronto Maple Leaves fan to a T. <laughs> and let me so, go. Right, so get one of them. There's like twelve. It,
2: Yeah,
1: even a Russian-Canadian would have been more fun. Like, a Russian-Canadian mob boss would have been hilarious. I love that. But a French-Canadian, that was... That's a good idea. I want to see that movie. Maybe I can follow it up with that one.
0: That's all I kept thinking, like, in the sequel, man. I want to see the prequel where the Canadian-Italian mob somehow becomes in league with the Triads, and then they end up hiring a Russian hitman. There's a lot of different ethnicities in this mob group. It's interesting.
2: Yeah.
3: Yes, because you're kind of leading into, um, you know, Gandafini's right-hand man here, who we, we learn is is probably a th- more threatening character than the main guy, I would say. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Definitely. He only has one name. That's how you know he's, like, he's he's the badass. He's the guy you don't want to mess with. And <laughs> the bounty hunters have... What, Again, does anyone remember this guy's name? The guys they the the Mario, name? Mario. Right, they have Mario.
3: It's a me. <laughs> yeah. it. and they've been given this.
2: They needed a really they, they needed a really stereotypically Italian mob mook.
3: Honestly, like, I can't believe there wasn't his gangster brother Luigi. I mean, I was waiting for
0: him. <laughs> yeah, there was no scene where uh, where the mobsters were making pasta. Come on. Oh. Went to well, at least Italian eating a pizzeria. Well, Canadian pizza is
1: terrible. That was you didn't ever see him like shoving frizzuto into his face or something, you know. Yeah, that's been more believable. But um, so yeah, and again, in true I have connections mobster fashion, uh, the head guy has somehow finds their number or gets their number and calls them and basically is like, "Hey, hand over this guy to me. Um, I'll pay you. What is it, a million dollars." Is that what we got up to? It was $1
3: million.
1: <laughs> you know, hand over this guy to me. I'll give you $1 million. It'll all be done. And, of course, this is moral dilemma number two. But this one, they, they handle a lot more. Um, you know, Trish kind of puts their foot down and goes, no, we are not. We are not taking this offer. You know, we already have this guy. We're going to give him to the police. And this time, Chase and Ridley kind of fall in line. And they're like, yeah, no, we're going to do the right thing now. Chase.
0: Chase doesn't go down without a fight, though, and he has some valid points. This guy is dead in prison anyway.
1: Yeah, that
3: is yeah. true. Yeah, I think Chase made a lot of sense. And to me, sometimes in movies, I end up identifying with the guy that you're supposed to think is wrong. And this was very clear in this in this case because I'm like, come on. Like, Chase has got a good point. Either you're going to make money off this guy and send him to jail to die or, or, I mean, send him to the mob to die or he's going to go to jail and they'll kill him and you'll get nothing. And the mob will probably be pissed at you. So, like, you have a very important decision to make. And, you know, but, you, like, as the viewer, I think you're supposed to identify with Ridley and, you know, Trish Stratus, who are like, I don't want to be responsible for his death. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah. as we've already discussed, they eventually are.
1: Yeah, they, that's, Yeah, that is the, the <laughs> best, probably the best part of this whole movie. But, um. Yeah, they do have this whole scene where they're all kind of outside the their van, which is holding Mario, and they're debating what they're, what, what they're going to do. And actually, this is a, a good thing to bring up because this is where we hear about Chase's injury for the first time. You know, previously we just thought he was healthy as a horse, but apparently he is not. Trish brings up the point, well, if you get involved in something like this, the police force is never going to want you if they find out you're involved in a scandal like this. And then he pulls out the the heartbreaking news that he cannot be accepted by the police force because even though he's a great candidate, he has a medical injury that prevents him from joining the force and they'll never take him. He has no other option. And he brings up the point that you are stripping slash bartending slash mostly stripping to help your daughter. This kid, this $1 million, your cut of this, could save you from having to do that forever. Um, but, again... So th-
3: And I'm sorry, but Pam, do you want to bring up where his injury stems from?
1: (laughs) Uh, We don't find this out until later, but we're just going to spoil it for everyone now. It is a junior hockey injury, but we never find out what that actually is. It's brain
0: damage. It is brain damage. damage. It has to be brain damage.
1: A stick and a puck. (laughs) Maybe multiple sticks and multiple pucks to the head, considering how Chase is throughout this movie.
3: I think that's why he wears a hat all the time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
1: invented yeah. in in several spots, and you're right. He he does make very valid points, and I, again, I did agree with him too. This movie could have been tied up a lot more easily if they had just done that. But um,
3: well, it would have it's, only it's, had a forty minute running time.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean, it could have actually gone that way. There are points where it, it could have actually gone where they just handed him over, but we, <laughs> this is another. So they meet Francis. Who is basically like, give me the guy, and well, I'll give you the money. This deal's done. I'm not gonna double cross you. Super easy. And even though they're these tough ass bounty hunters, they have not managed to secure the person they have with them at all. Like his hands aren't even bound. So, and we going- know they have
3: handcuffs. They've used yeah. them. Yeah.
1: yeah, they could have even just zip tied his hands together. Like I don't even under I don't understand why this was such a problem, but. They, of course, don't have anything on him, so when they're going to hand him over to Francis, or they're thinking about it still, could have gone the way that they just handed him over. He, Mario, makes a daring uh, escape of sorts, and then everything just gets fucked up.
0: I just want to add, I want to add, it's important to note that the reason that they decide... The reason that Trish Stratus, I should say, the reason that Trish doesn't want to turn him over is because she's insistent that they are not killers. And how will you live with somebody's death, with someone's blood on your hands? One man's blood. I just want to put that out there. Just want to put that out there. Remember that, (laughs) listeners. Just hold on to that. We'll get back to it.
1: Oh, and also somewhere in this whole fray, um, like I mentioned before... We learn that the team carries one gun full of blanks and then, like, an actual loaded gun so that they use the, you know, of course, use the blanks as intimidation to make noise, to be like, we're not fucking around, we'll kill you, and then usually people comply with them a little bit better, which is also, I guess, kind of important. So.
2: There you go. It's a nice Chekhov's gun, actually. I didn't for realize, once, I didn't think that was going to get called back later. But for
0: it once, does. it's it's literally a gun on this podcast. it's, yeah, it's literally it's a really gun. really stupid. Yeah. Like stripper move we'll see later. Yes. <laughs> but in the course of this chase, Trish gets hit by a car. Well, not a full car, the car door, which is actually <laughs> I think, pretty think I hilarious. think it was the rearview
3: mirror think, kind of danger. Did, did she actually get
0: hit? Because yeah. she
3: just kind of spins. And he I was spins like, the I okay, guess she got
0: hit by a car. He pops the door open while he's driving past her. Yeah, but
1: he wasn't going that fast that you know was going to do actual damage. Just kind of stunned her a little bit. And threw I her think and it's
3: because it. Trish Stratus did all her own stunts, and she was like, no way am I getting hit by a car in this low-budget Canadian action movie. You can hit me with the door, and I will jump into a pile of garbage. That was in her contract. Must land in garbage.
2: (laughs) That was the better option.
3: Yeah, well, totally. They didn't have the budget.
1: She is taken off to the hospital, or to, you know, Ridley and Chase are now left to clean up the mess alone, because they've, they've gotten Mario back.
0: They put a bullet in Francis.
1: Yeah, they do shoot him. They do. It is arm, again. Or no, it was his, was it his, this his arm.
0: Yeah, it's his arm. This is his
1: arm. Yeah, and uh which he this is actually again uh this kind of brings up how cool Francis is. So he stumbles off, he walks into the bathroom, he's talking to his boss, talking about how the deal went wrong. He, of course, you know, we know that it wasn't really the people's fault, that it wasn't the bounty hunter's fault, they weren't trying to screw up the deal. Um, it was just the circumstance that they didn't secure their prisoner at all and so But he relays to his boss that you know the deal went south they screwed him over you know I don't have the guy and he's not ma- making any mention of the fact that he is bleeding because uh, you know he's a good hired gun and he's not going to whine
3: about this and, yeah, and when you're talking to Hal you don't want to admit weakness yeah exactly
1: but Go. I mean but that's good I mean that, that was actually convincing to me for like hey if I'm an assassin for the mob I'm not going to be like Oh, I got shot. I got really hurt. I'm sorry, boss. I can't work anymore. He's like, I'm just going to work through the pain. I'm going to patch myself up here in this bathroom. This really gross bathroom where there's a bum laying in his own... <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was the bum's house. That bum was the best part of the scene. <laughs> this scene was very effective.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, if you guys want to take over the bum part, I feel like you could
2: probably give it more so, justice. So there's like a... so When he enters this, this crappy bar bathroom stall, there's a bum there who, like, initially tries to get him to not come into the room because he's kind of just sitting there in his own, like, filth. It's his, like, bed and bathroom.
0: That's where he and, jerks off, okay?
2: <laughs> yeah, basically. And so Francis comes in. He gets on um, he gets on a headset with Hal, his boss. And while he's doing that, he's basically doing some, like, battlefield surgery to try and pull the bullet out. And while they're having a conversation about how the deal went south, this um, random bum is just heckling him from the background. And just like shouting into the into the microphone when he can. Francis gets so pissed off that he just turns around and just pops one right into the the, the uh, hobo's head. And, and then he, he goes is, right back to talking.
0: That hobo I, was That was a for great it. scene. He was It really was. It.
3: it worked for me.
1: Yeah, me too. I, I liked that one. I thought that actually established that Francis is probably the most intimidating and probably the coolest antagonist in this whole movie. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I wanted more Francis after that scene, but instead we just get more homeless people. <laughs> they're, they're, they're peppered throughout the film. The homeless population of of Canada is seen multiple times, and they're always fucking things up. I mean, this guy's in the bathroom yelling. I think at one point there's a bum trying to cross the street, like during an important chase, and they have yeah. to like slam on the brakes to avoid hitting the bum. Yeah.
0: They drop off Trish Stratus at the hospital, and because Canada has socialized medicine, she's brought in very quickly. (laughs) And then they go have a bear claw and coffee at the diner, where we meet our tag team of Asian stereotypes who know kung fu. A very suspicious-looking policewoman walks in. There's more convincing cops at the strip club
3: that (laughs) Trish
0: works at than this one.
3: At least, like, Trish and them have, like, Bounty Hunter jackets and badge necklaces. This chick walks in, and she's clearly not wearing a shirt under her uniform. It was a very low V for me. I'm thinking, this is odd. She kind of looks like a stripper. But no way the movie means it to look like this. But I was wrong, because once (laughs) Chase lays eyes on her, And is kind of checking her out. She comes over and we are subject to the most awkward 30 seconds of the entire (laughs) film. True. Which was great. I thought it was great. Could you imagine being those guys and you're checking out this chick and then she comes and sits right next to you. Again, just like the gym. They're the only two people in this diner. It's two of them and and the waitress. And this weird looking Asian cop. Sits down next to you and she is just staring at you. I don't think she blinks. But see, for a solid thirty seconds.
1: Another weird part of this is that they're they're bounty enforcement like agents. They should just be talking to the police person, like you know, I, I, you work you work with the police. basically. When you. You hunt people's bounties, so you would think they would be like, "Oh hey, officer, how's your night?" Just kind of talking to her in any way, shape, or form. But it's like yeah. they've never seen a cop before.
3: And they're like, She's giving them the grudge eyes. Yeah. And they're,
1: just, they're just like, okay, well, this is awkward. <laughs> kind of not looking at her, kind of looking at her. You know, and, and another thing, I feel like if you went to an Asian massage parlor where you almost got your shit wrecked, and then like some weird Asian non convincing police officer sits down next to you and stares at you for a while, you wouldn't be like the least bit suspicious that oh, hey, the mob is still after us. They hit
3: our friend with a car. Well, they probably almost thought that, but then Chase had to take a piss.
2: Yeah. So <laughs> then Chase opened his mouth.
3: <laughs> My favorite scene is what confirmed to me that I was not the only one who thought this uh, Asian girl looked like a stripper because he's in the bathroom and... You know, the door opens, and he knows the only other person in the restaurant is Ridley, so he figures, oh, Ridley must have to be, too. So without looking at who's come in the door, he's like, ah, oh, do you see that little stripper cop chick? Like, I'm going to try to, you know, eat her sushi tonight, or whatever. He, <laughs> <is>. <laughs> he said something about, like, fiddling his chopsticks in her sushi roll. I don't know, man. <laughs> Shit, Ridley. What's going on with that hot
2: Asian porn cop? She's
3: awesome. You know I'm a sucker for Asians, let alone in a cop outfit. You know how tough it is to take a piss with a heart on? It's some kind of horrible euphemism, and he turns around, and it's it's her! She's in the men's room! What are you doing here? Yeah, also, uh, good job, Ridley,
1: looking out for this chick who, this creepy chick who just got up and definitely just walked in the men's bathroom. Like, Ridley is a
3: terrible spot for poor Chase at the urinal. Terrible! Terrible. He's great at distracting 17-year-old gym attendants. Not really so good at, like, and I think she had a gun on her, some sort of baton weapon, not even registered on the danger scale. And, uh, you know, of course she uh, comes on to chase, and we we know he has brain damage, so he wasn't really thinking that this is a dangerous situation. Uh, He's just totally ready to go right off the bat and it doesn't turn out well for Chase does it
0: no brain damage and an Asian fetish have been the downfall of many frat boys (laughs) yep
1: can we just leave it on that note I feel like that's the best note of this whole thing
0: that's that's the high note for this review that is well there's there's another filler fight where Ridley has a a Mexican standoff of which there's like four of in this whole movie with the male Asian guy and Chase is fighting the female Asian, and then they have a chase scene again. No, yeah. no,
2: actually, well, yeah, actually, they do. Well, that that chase scene was was stupid on its own. So um, wait, 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 they chase
1: that. I have to. There's that one scene. So Chase and the the chick cop are fighting in the bathroom, and you know you think she's clearly just out, or he is outmatched by her because she's quick and she's. Knows all sorts of martial arts, but somehow he prevails in the end. And um, she'd stolen the car keys from him a couple times, you know, d- done these little crappy moves and gotten them in the way. And then he gets them back. And his, his sign off to this fight scene is Asians
3: can't drive. And then we get into the, the oh, fight scene. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah.
3: Oh, I forgot about the most racist part of the movie. Not only the high point of awkwardness, but the high point
0: of racism. Where are we grown scaling that one? Is that in nine? nine?
3: Oh, it's real high, man. Yeah,
1: that's real high. Not only did he just like beat up a chick in the men's bathroom, but then he throws the whole uh, "Asians can't drive" ha 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 moment, which ew, it was just it was bad. Like yeah, not only does he beat her up,
3: like they like destroy the bathroom, like major property damage. He you steps almost... her in the foot. He does step <laughs> he, he stabs her in the
2: foot with a broken chart of glass in her right foot and she clearly still manages to drive away. So apparently Asians can drive.
1: Yeah, under extreme circumstances, Noah. Yeah. But, yeah. So, alright, now we can now we can get into the chase scene. I just had to recall that moment.
2: So they, they drive up to the hospital to check on, um, Jules, uh Stratus' character. And right when they, they arrive, they see that, um, the Asians that they fought earlier, who are now in an ambulance, are um, driving away with Tristratus. And rather than immediately give chase and try and drive, like maybe ram the car or something and get, get after them, they actually stop the car in the carport for the hospital, and Ridley gets out of the car to chase after this ambulance on foot while, before it drives off. And they have to get back in the car and drive away. And it doesn't really, like, affect the timing of the chase. They, they have to gain a huge lead at that, or they have a huge lead at that point, but it's a really stupid thing to do, to chase after an ambulance on foot.
1: Also, I love that the the Asian duo have unlimited access to all of these, like, official cars. Like, they yeah. just, they just, in literally in 20 minutes, they've managed to swap out a cop car for an ambulance, and they've, they switch into, like, he kind of looks like he could be an emt in a way but she dresses like the she gets into this really terrible like not even fetishized nurse outfit it just looks like a nurse outfit from like the 1930s like it's super i don't even know what the word is like super kind of like baggy and a weird length and it's just it doesn't look modern at all, and it's not even, like, for sex appeal because there's no sex appeal to the outfit. It's just weird to them. No one's out there to, like, be like, oh, hey, ambulance people, who are you bringing in? Oh, you're taking somebody out? That's totally normal.
3: No, it's- nobody checks IDs because they know there's at least two Asian people that work at the hospital, and they've never really talked to them. They're not sure if it's these two Asians, yeah. but they We're don't want to sure be rude. They like. They're yeah, but- pretty sure it's these two Asians that work at the hospital because they okay. do all look sort of similar and I think there was maybe an Asian nurse here a couple of weeks ago, so that's probably her.
1: And no one stopped them from like taking a woman out of a room. Like, what, Are they moving to another hospital? Where, are they just releasing her? What are they doing with this? They're just like, ah, oh, we're gonna wheel her
3: out to this ambulance. They are ninjas. We don't need to have explanations for their actions. <laughs> yeah.
2: the, the attendants at the, the desk just think the, the gurney rolled out on its own. They and were too amazed, actually.
0: A couple smoke bombs and they're out of there. <laughs> <laughs>
3: And so now we're in the chase. Our Asian dude realizes that he has the power of the law on his side, flips the siren, and bam, they're off. And I I thought it was funny because clearly in the film you could see that we have the van carrying Chase and Ridley, and then we have a traffic light, and in between them and the traffic light is, like, one car. And Ridley's like, damn it, there's a car! Oh, what am I going to do? You know, it, it... Obviously, it was not as important to him as you might think, because I'm thinking, I dodge cars like that coming home from work. Like, if I had the love of my life getting kidnapped in the ambulance, I think I would work something out. And so it was a very anticlimactic chase scene for me, personally.
2: It was a yeah. very climactic chase scene for me, because we have our first catfight in this scene. Yes. Inside the inside the um, ambulance.
0: Yeah. We oh, have a- yeah! Jules wakes up, doesn't she? We get yep. a close-quarters catfight between... Uh, unsexy Asian nurse And Trish Stratus Who's just in a hospital gown And it is It is fetish Glorious observe, It is
3: the movie
0: Yep it, it's, it's It's bad They're rolling They're rolling over The, the hospital gurney uh, Their legs are Being thrown everywhere They're doing high kicks It's just It's uh, It's gratuitous I actually, hilarious. Don't
3: see the part they do cut away though, and I thought this was weird. And actually, I had to rewind it to make sure I just wasn't not paying attention. But at one point, Trish Stratus does like a forward flip while holding onto a bar, and clearly her entire backside would be exposed to anyone in the vicinity. And yet the camera chooses to like tastefully. Cut her out like the camera's positioned in such a way that when she does the flip, Delicious. she's in the top left corner of the of the screen. So that's just what I wanted to mention. Anyone looking for like a full ass shot of Trish Stratus, you're not gonna get it.
0: The director was clearly not an ass man.
3: <laughs> I think it was a vagina man because I there was a so. lingering crotch shot when Trish Stratus gets ready for her dance.
0: Yeah,
3: <laughs> Trish Stratus's lingering crotch shot. That's my next five across.
2: It's <laughs> a good name for a band.
3: <laughs> it would have to be like death metal or something that would be the way
0: so now we come to the climactic ending battle uh, where they're at a warehouse and they're gonna make a deal money for mario but it doesn't go quite right well it's so-
3: unfortunate that they couldn't have made this deal 45 minutes earlier it <laughs> would have saved us as viewers a lot of headache and it would have saved our, our heroes a lot of trauma as well. Um, it's just kind of funny to me that everything that they were working against comes to fruition in this final climactic battle. You know, they, they, they don't want to hand them in. They don't want to take the money. And now the money's sounding pretty good because the mob is on them and Trish Stratus is okay. They've recovered her. Jules is back with the crew. And they find themselves in the warehouse with, with not a lot to do. I think it's time for another climactic battle,
0: and we and they battle. Dopey pairs off with the Asian guy. Trish goes after the Asian girl, and everyone else just kind of flails around with their guns, shooting. Everyone randomly, else kind of but disappears. Not... Oh yeah,
2: the, the entire time that fight scene is going on between the Asians and our our intrepid heroes, all of the, the characters have sort of just left the focus entirely.
1: Yeah, who's Ridley fighting in this whole?
2: He's gunfighting. They're just they're I mean, running after each other inside the warehouse. R- Ridley's
3: thinking. really yeah. thinking about his status in the world. He yeah. he is doing some mentoring to somebody. He's thinking about things. I think. And yeah,
2: like, there's a random um, warehouse attendant there who looks like a who's a 17 year old girl and so needed some some sweet talking.
3: Needed. Me. He had to go distract the warehouse person. I think. He, he was doing something. He was trying to decide whether he had the gun with blanks or the gun with bullets, I think. But um, in this scene, to me, it, it, the, this almost... The fight scene, I liked because Trish Stratus holds a grudge, man. Like, Jules is like, fuck this bitch. She holds a grudge. She... Like, you don't see this a lot, and I didn't expect to see this in this movie where everyone just fights and it's over, fights and it's over, fights and it's over. Like, this character, Tristratus Jules, she remembers Ruby, the Asian. She remembers her good. And she's like, this bitch caught me with a needle and I was about to kick her ass. I'm going to get her back right now. And it was like a grudge match, which, again, is very WWF. Like, you know, uh, the referee gets knocked out and they get to use weapons in mm. the match. That she becomes the hardcore champion again. Thought so like- I believe in her fight with Ruby... She gets to exhibit her finishing move. Yeah, which it was called the Stratosphere. Does anyone remember the Stratosphere?
0: Uh, yeah, I know. I looked it up. I looked it up because I wanted to see uh, if she does her move. I wa- I looked it up before I watched the movie, and I was like, "Oh, if she does her finishing move, I'm gonna." She drink. did right. I'm gonna finish my beer.
1: Quick, just I wanted a quick interject on this. Uh, so I know you guys probably talked about the whole ambulance scene where they're fighting in the back of the ambulance. And then after Trish gets knocked out, Ruby's like, ooh, I found this sexy schoolgirl uniform in this bag. I'm going to put this on this this now passed out woman. Um, And then when you see them fighting on later, like Trish is like the stockings on and everything. And I was like, wow, that's dedication for like this Asian chick to be putting stockings on a woman who's out cold in the back of the van. You know she probably fondled her a little bit, which is weird because she makes comments about how she still wants to bed Uh, bed her while she's fighting her. She's like, Oh yeah, you and I could have had some fun. I'm like, that's weird. You probably molested Trish in the back of the Absolutely.
3: Yeah. yeah. Uh, There's no doubt. (laughs) It left no doubt in my mind that there was like some (laughs) behind the scenes lesbian rape action going on in that in that ambulance.
0: It's a it's more cheesecakey fan service for the the people this this movie's made for the guns. Well, oh, absolutely, and tits because murder. in
3: a movie where every Asian knows kung fu, there's no way that two women could fight without one of them being a lesbian and secretly, <laughs> or maybe not so secretly, wanting to, you know, uh, get her hands all over uh, the, the pretty white lady. Me love you long time.
0: <laughs> and, well, and both of the fights, they're okay. They're fights. They go back and forth. And in both of the fights, both Chase and Trish Strass 's character brutally murder the people that they 're fighting yeah, they throw the whole we 're not killers don't you, you don't want to have blood on on your hands from somebody. they throw it all out the window because Trish has the Asian girl knocked out after she does after she she builds up her meter and gets her special and hits l <laughs> two and r two at the same time she does her move she's out and then she just takes her head. And repeatedly smashes it into the concrete until she is dead. And, like, here we are in the third
3: act of the film. We're in the climactic battle scene. It's either kill or be killed at this point. Whether or not the film has already established these loose moral guidelines for their main characters, it's like, this bitch knocked me out in the in the ambulance? I'm going to kill her. Like, I hate her. I hate this little agent. And that's, like, what Trish Stratus was all about in this last fight. And if you weren't sure if this was the case, I think it was very well shown, maybe not well shown, but it was very obviously shown every time they went back to her fight. It was like heavy metal music, right? Did you notice the music changes? It was very jarring to me because it was like the warehouse was silent. And then, like, it was, like, loud, aggressive music when Trish Stratus was fighting. And then, like, a little bit less aggressive music when Chase was fighting his dude. Because the main battle is between the female leads. You know, you have the main female protagonist, the main female antagonist. We need some Canadian metal right now to show that this shit is
2: real. There, there were a few scenes where the music starting up was completely out of place with what was going on. Like, did you guys catch on with that? There's one scene where she's, I think, suiting up in her schoolgirl outfit at the at the strip club, and there's, like, rocking metal music going on in the background for no well, that, discernible reason.
0: No, that makes more sense. That's probably in the film. It's just background someone, music? Someone on stage is probably rocking out to Hot for Teacher. Girls, girls, it, girls.
3: It worked. I mean, you know, it, it goes back to the idea that, you know, the character of Jules is this, this like, ass kicker who somehow has a kid... We never see the child. Nope. And that may be because they did not want to hire a little child actor. It may be that she's not really important to the plot at all. I mean, we know Trish Stratus has a daughter, and we know that she's very important to her. We never actually have to see them interact, which is convenient because you want to believe that if you have a kid out of wedlock, you could just leave them at home with a random person and go off and bathe you. Yeah. She might yeah. have a Canadian subsidized babysitter. Who knows?
1: Yeah, who was watching her kid the whole time she was just getting kidnapped? I guess maybe that's what Ridley was handling. Maybe in all the times he wasn't fighting, maybe he was just making sure that her daughter was safe or something. I don't know.
3: Maybe that I like to fun. imagine that Jules had like an old ass kicking mom who like kicked ass back in the 70s and now was just like watching her granddaughter so that Jules could go out and kick some more ass. In 2011.
0: They, uh, oh, yeah. they missed an opportunity there. They could have had the fabulous Mula play her mom. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been so great. Totally. So we get to yet another Mexican standoff. And now we're at the beginning of the movie again. Trish Stratus has the gun to her head. She's in the schoolgirl costume. If we're talking Tarantino, we've got a Tarantino-esque bloodbath on our hands that's about to happen.
3: I mean, you talk about, like, the knockoff versions of James Gandolfini. Like, this whole movie was, like, a very short, not clever knockoff Tarantino. And I think this scene, like you said, really exhibits it. I don't know if anybody's really got a handle on it, but I would absolutely agree that they tried so hard to hit this. And who knows where they really got it?
2: I think my brain shut off at this point in the movie because I... I don't actually remember what happens at this well, point. Well the if- problem is
3: you've already seen it, so you you've seen kinda how it goes down and then so you know that Mario is free because he has a gun. And you know, you you see this in the in the in a sort of like flashback to or I guess flash forward to where Trish Stratus starts in the movie where she's doing her inner thoughts. So now we're back to that point as Chris had said and Everything is happening in real time, so you gotta understand like who is gonna really step it up. And Trish is the hostage and Ridley I guess doesn't really know what's going on. He's kind of in the middle of this Mexican standoff and as we know there's only one gun with bullets and the rest are blanks. So we gotta wonder like who's got the firepower, right? Um, and then we see the return of, of Francis, everyone's favorite russian canadian assassin he's back um he's nursed his wounds in the homeless man's you know living room and he's back and i believe and i may be wrong chris you might have to bring us home on this one but i believe that francis pulls out a gun that has some firepower or no because this is where it lost me too so i think some uh chris and influence on this one
0: if i'm not mistaken Mario goes to shoot Ridley, but he finds out his gun is full of blanks. Francis shoots Mario, and then he's about to shoot Ridley, but Chase, who is unconscious on the ground from, I guess, internal injuries, uh, shoots Francis.
3: Exactly. So now we have Chase's gun, real bullets, Francis's gun, also real bullets,
0: but Francis dead.
3: Well, yeah, because obviously he wasn't expecting. It's like when you did anybody ever play Goldeneye back in the day, and like you wouldn't let anybody be odd job because they would get them low shots on you. But like, <laughs> Chase was basically the odd job. It's like you're not expecting him. He's he's floor level, and he just shot the shit out of you. And you're like, that's not fair. Like I was only gonna shoot like standing people, but he odd jobbed him really good.
0: And then we get what I mentioned before, which is Chekhov's stripper move. Ridley tells Trish Stratus to use her finishing move, which got a groan out of me. I was like, oh, (laughs) fuck you. Wrestlers using your finishing. And she does a stripper split, just drops out of the guy's grip, which is not how grips work. If you could just fall down to get out of somebody's grip... Then MMA would be really uninteresting, but she manages to just slip out of his grip, and Ridley shoots him.
3: I think how many times, times. like four, four times. times. I think
1: MMA would be way more interesting. By the way, if dudes were just doing splits all over the place, especially if they were in schoolgirl skirts while they did it, <laughs> I would probably watch a little bit more because it's pretty <laughs> funny.
0: I'm but sure you can find that on the internet somewhere.
1: <laughs> at really MMA for it.
0: Anyway, and that's sorry. it. Our group of. They try to set them up as bounty hunters with a heart of gold, but they are just murderers. They are yeah. terrible people. <laughs> yep.
3: Well, I I think it, it might be interesting to note that they are bounty hunters with a heart of gold. Any time when their own lives are not on the line, as we see throughout the movie, they have these moral dilemmas, as as which I believe we discussed There's at least you know two or three big moral dilemmas, but they are not in any direct danger. It's all like um, in their heads what could happen, what could happen if we do this, what could happen if we do that. Here in the warehouse scene in the climactic battle we see that their lives are very much at risk and all of a sudden They really don't care whether or not they are killers because their own lives are on the line. You have people with guns, you know, he's about to kill Jules, you know, they have guns pointed at them. They're in a major fight. This is really one of the first times where their lives are at stake in a major way. Like all these other fights are kind of comical. He's in the bathroom, they're at the gym, you know, they're, they're in the house. He has a BB gun. The stakes are not high. And, you know, if you're in an action movie, you want to raise the stakes constantly. And this movie does not raise the stakes whatsoever until this last scene. And then all of a sudden it goes from no stakes to all the stakes in, in in 0.5 seconds. And when these characters have their own lives on the line, you see what kind of people they really are. They're like, there's no way we're falling for this. We're going to do everything we can to kill these people. And they do because they're the good guys. Yeah. Murdering good
1: guys. And then yeah, then they oh and the like the icing on the cake is that they murder everyone and as they're walking out they grab the million dollars off the floor. They're like, million dollars, not bad for a night, guys. Like they <laughs> like totally completely they're like, Yeah, good job. We just killed five people. We got yeah. a million dollars. Hooray and, Yeah.
3: An hour ago, they, or they could have gotten that million dollars with no direct deaths on their hands. You know, if they hand over Mario, who's to say that he won't just get a little roughed up and then get back on the streets? Like I said, our main man, Hal, does not have a lot of employees. He might want to hang on to his little Italian confidant. But instead, they know that everyone in the mob, they have single-handedly taken out the Canadian-Italian mob. They're done. They have done Canada a great service by taking out these like, fake Italian gangsters. And the million dollars, they still get their reward. There is no comeuppance to these characters for going back on their moral code. There is no consequence. They all win. Well, except the dead
0: guys. And Chase, Chase still has some sort of learning disability. <laughs>
3: But now he has $300,000 in order to try to get that correct. He's got like
0: $65,000 because they don't – he doesn't know how to do math.
3: (laughs) They give him a $100 bill and they're like, look at this. This is all for you. You can buy so many cups of coffee with this and so many scratch-off lottery tickets. (laughs) And
1: then if he uppity about it, they just hit him in the head with a hockey puck again and then he forgets (laughs) about it. So it's it's a win-win for everybody.
0: We're at the point where we have to decide Netflix or Notflix. Should anybody queue this movie up this weekend?
1: Um, I wouldn't say, like, you know, go out of your way to watch Bounty Hunter, but if you have nothing else to do on a Saturday night, if you just got dumped, if there's nothing going on, if you can't go anywhere, sure, why the hell not? It's, it's not a bad ride. It's not the most memorable one. It's not the most complex one. But it's not the worst way to waste an hour or so of your life.
3: I agree. I I think that if you have an hour and 20 minutes of your life to spare... Especially if you're like a 14-year-old guy whose parents don't let him look at pornographic websites and you want to see a gratuitous Tristratus crotch shot. Or maybe you're a little bit older and you miss the days of WWE where you could see her doing all of her awesome stratospheres and stratisfaction wrestling moves. The movie is worth watching. I can't say that I, it was not enjoyable because it was. It had a lot of faults. Um, but it was short, and that really worked for it. I mean, I got to watch the movie. It was like a little nugget of action. So, therefore, I would say Netflix. Watch it. What, what the hell not? It's going to take 70 minutes of your life?
2: Yeah. No, I don't I don't think I'd really watch this movie. Um, everyone else brings up really good points. I guess it is kind of enjoyable, but this movie kind of pissed me off by the end and just melted my brain. Um the, the fight scenes just weren't that interesting because they were just way too flashy and too unrealistic um, the, the plot made no sense the, the main characters were completely inept and unlikable I, I don't think I would recommend it
0: I couldn't even remember the characters names an hour after I watched it to talk about it on, on this podcast so I don't know the racism and the sexism kind of blew me away You know, I laughed about it at first but by the end I was just like wow if you took a drink every time someone said or was called a bitch, you would die. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. I just, I didn't really enjoy it that much. There's probably better bad action movies. I mean, I know there are better bad action movies on Netflix. Watch The Story of Ricky. That's a better one.
3: Because,
2: we have a 50 50 split here.
0: Is, is that it, movie on Netflix? Yeah.
3: I'm going to watch that right now. I'm going to stop talking about bounty hunters and go watch The Story of Ricky because. <laughs> I, I it's a be way better use of my time. So, good night, everyone. I'm gonna go watch the story of Ricky.
0: Okay. So next week, now when we first started this podcast, if you listen to the pilot, we mentioned that though we are the Netflix martyrs, every now and then we would do movies that anybody could see, anyone where they had Netflix. They don't have Netflix. They don't have Amazon Prime. You can still see it. We're going to YouTube for a movie that's up there in full called Vibrations. It's a 1996 movie starring Christina Applegate about how techno music saves the life of one young, poor, misguided man.
2: Oh, all
1: right.
0: It sounds like it's going to be... It sounds like
3: it's going to be bad.
0: Is Skrillex in this movie? The enthusiasm. Now, this is way before Skrillex.
3: Yeah, well, maybe I thought maybe Skrillex was like a 14-year-old version of himself who was just <laughs> realizing the power of techno music for the first time.
0: Maybe this is the movie that inspired Skrillex to make Techno. I, I
3: think Skrillex watched this in 97. He had it on VHS, I think. I'm, I'm excited. Alright, All right. well... Be YouTube Martyrs for one week. I'm, I'm looking forward to it.
0: The link, right. the link will be up when this episode goes up, so you can watch it. We'll watch it. We'll see you next week for Vibrations.
3: Here, here!